Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to On the Ball with Rick Buecher. Here's your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buecher. Rick Buecher. This is On the Ball on the United Wecast Network, and I am Rick Buecher. You can see me on FS1, hear me on Fox Sports Radio, and you can read me on the Fox Sports app and at foxsports.com. You can also follow me on both Twitter and Instagram at Rick Buecher. I'm a lot of places. But there's only one place you can hear me talking about story angles and perspectives that you are not likely to find anywhere else, primarily but not exclusively involving the NBA. And that is here. It's not always fun or enjoyable to be right about something. I know that might sound shocking, but it's true. I'm recording this episode with my gut in knots, actually. You might remember a certain boys high school team I said that I've been watching regularly lately and that I mentioned how wildly talented they were, but that the lack of accountability and understanding of what gave them a chance to be special was going to leave them short of their potential. Well, all that played out earlier today. This team was in a big playoff game, chance to go to the championship, and they were up at at halftime by four, and I turned to the person next to me and said, they're going to lose. It was like looking down at a car speeding down a strip of highway, and there's a gaping hole in the road up ahead, and you know what's going to happen, and you also know the passengers have no idea, and you can't do anything but watch it unfold. To make matters worse, this team was in the bonus, the final nine minutes of the game, and only got to the free throw line twice because the offense consisted of the star player jacking threes. Hit a decent number of them, but I knew that it wasn't going to win the game. The offense went stagnant, the extra effort on the boards was missing, and they lost in overtime. They only went in overtime because they are that talented, but it was a close game. They weren't going to win. And it killed me to see the kids' disappointment knowing it didn't have to be that way. They had a chance to do something special. But that only happens for a team when it, the players and coaching staff, all understand what makes it special. And it's not talent. Lots of teams are talented. It's having a standard of play and holding everyone to it, no matter what their level of ability is. Without it, a team will always fray under pressure, as this one has in every close game they've played this year. All right, enough of that. Moving on. On to what I intended to discuss in this episode, which is a topic 
inspired by the latest shenanigans, controversy, whatever you want to call it, involving Zion Williamson. It's high time to start taking a different approach to deciding who is worthy and capable of being a number one draft pick in the NBA. Maybe you're wondering why I'm saying this on a podcast and not to a symposium of NBA GMs and owners. Well, it's because I don't know that they would listen and you, the fans, have more power than you realize if you understand how to use it. Now, I'm not asking all of you to be like Knicks fans who attend the draft and loudly boo when the player they want isn't drafted. The Knicks fans that show up at the draft may be devout fans, but they're not the most intelligent. They've booed plenty of choices over the years, not because they knew it was a bad pick, but just because it wasn't the guy they wanted, a guy that they were familiar with, as opposed to a guy they knew nothing about. That's not reason enough to boo. You have to know why the guy you want is a better choice than the other guy. And the only way you can know that is if you know both of them well. Not just looking at statistics, but actually seeing them play and understanding their game and then being able to visualize how that game might translate to the NBA. If I remember correctly, the Knicks fans wanted Justice Winslow or Emmanuel Moutier or Stanley Johnson instead of Kristaps Porzingis, simply because they had seen Porzingis' statistics over in Europe. And they were like, well, if you can can barely score over there, how's he going to get it done over here? They were conversely thrilled to get R.J. Barrett, probably not even knowing who Darius Garland was. What I'm suggesting is that as you decide who your team takes when it has the privilege or should take when it has the privilege of holding the number one pick, you don't look simply at who appears to be the most physically gifted or talented or familiar, but take into consideration that player's intangibles, his leadership skills for one, where he leads a team and how he leads it. Because there's no way around it. Being a number one pick requires a player to be both a spokesman and a leader. Those who have failed generally haven't done so because they didn't have the requisite physical talent. They failed because they couldn't handle everything else that comes with being a number one pick. Zion Williamson is the latest example. Zion, I've been told, was aloof and detached as a teammate while he was at Duke. So it's hardly a surprise or at least shouldn't be, that he is detached and aloof as a teammate in the NBA, at least according to his former Pelicans teammate, J.J. Redick. What would be his motivation to change? He was the number one pick. He was drawing comparisons to LeBron before he ever stepped on an NBA floor. He was an all-star in his second year in the league. If he saw being detached and aloof as part of his formula for success, who could blame him? And for the record, Zion did go on JJ's podcast and was both warm and personable on it. So he wasn't always completely detached. But if that was his nature, the Pelicans certainly should have known that. And if they wanted him to be different, they should have worked with him on it, JJ included. He says that he texted free agents trying to recruit them to New Orleans and that texting a new teammate is standard operating procedure. Does Zion know that? Did J.J. ever make that clear to him? J.J. said he was never the best player on a team, but took certain steps to contact players. That's part of the problem. 
The Pelicans had precious few veterans to show Zion the ropes, and certainly no one who was a perennial all-star, no one who had a profile or level of success that Zion would immediately respect and replicate. Zion is 21 years old. He's spent more time in the training room than the basketball court. Does he understand what comes with being a franchise cornerstone, other than being dynamic on the court? And is he willing to accept those responsibilities? Can he execute them? Until I know someone explained to him what comes with being the number one pick, or if he had somehow been more visible and spoke up more at Duke. I just don't remember him. I don't remember him being a vocal leader on that team. Uh, but if, if someone had prepped him, ideally before he was drafted, but certainly afterward, uh, then I wouldn't put all this on him. And even if someone did, I want to know if there are any other reasons he might detach himself from the team before I blast him for doing so. Being sure that a player is capable of handling the responsibilities of being a number one pick is a relatively new consideration. Or has become one. Because back when players spent several years in college and were drafted based on their proven success, both individually and as part of a team, not merely on their individual potential or physical measurements, it could be taken for granted that a player good enough to be the number one pick had developed the intangibles necessary to handle the spotlight that came with it. They had already played in a big-time nationally televised game. They weren't just the best player on their team or the best player in college basketball or overseas. They had success leading a team. That's a vital element expected of a number one pick. Number two on down, you can be a great second banana if you don't turn out to be a first option or team later. The assumption is, at number one, you are indeed a number one in every way. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. That's not how the draft works these days or hasn't for much of the last 10 years. It's as much about potential as it is actual proven ability. That goes for physical ability as well as the intangibles. Leadership, toughness, dealing with the public and media. And the breakdown, the place where number one picks have faltered the most, hasn't been in their ability. It has been in their inability to handle or deal with those other demands. Let's examine the number one pick since 2011 and the reason they've disappointed, and you'll see what I mean. Kyrie Irving was the first pick in 2011. Kyrie barely played his one year at Duke because of injury. The Cavaliers got it right as far as talent. There's no one that should have been picked ahead of him in that regard. Kawhi Leonard evolved into what he is now. I believe he went 15th in that draft to San Antonio. And he certainly doesn't have the personality or temperament of a leader. But there's Kemba Walker, who went 9th to the Charlotte Hornets. He was never talked about as a number one. But if leadership and intangibles were weighed more heavily, valued more appropriately, he would have. 
I've never disputed Kyrie's otherworldly skills, but the fact is that Kemba and Kyrie have been in the league the same number of years, and yet Kemba has done more in every statistical category. I'm just saying. Kyrie is the better overall talent. Undisputed. Not questioning that. But if we're weighing who is the better team leader... Mm, I'm going to side with Kemba on that one. He's going to win that comparison. Now, because of his knee injuries, he's lost a lot. He's not the same player. It's understandable that the Knicks would shut him down. We're not talking about right now. We're talking about when they were coming out of school. 2012, Anthony Davis was the number one pick. Talent-wise, he certainly loved up to being taken first. Leadership-wise, not even close. And why would you expect him to? He wasn't a leader in AAU or high school. He wasn't asked or expected to be one at Kentucky. But there was another guy in that draft who had demonstrated his leadership ability over and over again at every level. Damian Lillard, taken sixth. Sixth behind Thomas Kidd Gilchrist, Bradley Beal, Deion Waiters, and Thomas Robinson. In looking at picks, it amazes me how teams consistently run in one direction or the other, either valuing a player's intangibles and ignoring flaws in their skill set or falling in love with their talent and ignoring the question marks about their intangibles. 2013 was a complete whiff. The Cavs took Anthony Bennett, who didn't have number one talent or a number one demeanor, with the not-so-surprising result that he lasted only four years in the league especially when there was a guy sitting right there who had it all. Talent and demeanor in Victor Oladipo, who went second to the Orlando Magic. It took him a minute to show everybody because the Magic already had two strong leaders in Aaron Aflalo and Jameer Nelson in the backcourt. But Oladipo was the leader of a young Indiana Hoosiers team that was a number one seed in the tourney. Cleveland got another crack at it again, and this time went for pure talent, selecting Andrew Wiggins out of Kansas. Talk about an overreaction. Now, it was a natural overreaction because intangibles are harder to identify. And after you've, after you've completely smoked one number one pick, you got to try to get it right. And as I said, intangibles, harder to identify, harder to defend, harder to quantify. Pure talent you can see in a box score line or highlight clip. And that's what Andrew Wiggins gave them. Now, they didn't keep him very long, traded him to Minnesota for Kevin Love, but... The Wiggins' talent factor was what made him the number one pick. That doesn't mean the player is a winner, but the eye candy can be enough to distract an owner or a fan base from that fact. And since they were, I don't know if they were thinking of trading him the time that they drafted him. I'm trying to think what the timeline was with, with LeBron announcing that he was coming back to Cleveland. But the fact of the matter is, Wiggins wanted no part of what came with being a number one pick. The talent made him a more valuable asset to trade. But as far as being a number one pick, he didn't want any of that ancillary stuff. He told me as much just a few weeks ago. Literally told me. You know who would have been a good number one pick? Marcus Smart, taken sixth by Boston. And what is it with the natural leaders being taken sixth instead of first? Dame Lillard, then Marcus Smart. Some of you might be wondering why I'm not mentioning Joel Embiid, who has developed into a fairly decent leader for the 76ers and was in that same draft. It's because, one, he showed none of those leadership skills at Kansas, nor did he demonstrate them prior to this season. 
I'm going to need to see them for an entire season, including a postseason run, before I conclude he's graduated to true team leader status. He's still got a lot of goofy kid in him that shows up at the wrong times. And this is about guys more suited to being a number one pick because of their leadership skills and ability to handle the spotlight. None of that fits Embiid coming out of college, and none of that has been proven without a shadow of a doubt at this point. Carl Anthony Towns went first in 2015, and whatever you might think of his career, it's hard to look at anyone else in that draft who should have gone number one because of their combination of talent and intangibles. Ben Simmons was the 2016 number one pick, and I knew right from the start he was not cut out for it. I don't care how talented you are or who your coach is or who your teammates are, all things that were blamed for the result of LSU's season, Ben Simmons' freshman year. You don't go to LSU, start the season ranked 21st, finish 19-14, and 14, lose in the second round of your conference tournament by 33 to Texas A&M, fail to make either the NCAA or NIT tournaments, and have what it takes to deal with the expectations of a number one pick. Zero chance of that working. Guys who could have handled it better, for sure. Brandon Ingram, Jamal Murray, DeMontis Sabonis. I had the same feeling, same bad feeling, about 2017 when Philadelphia took Markel Fultz. In fact, I wrote about it at the time, how either Lonzo Ball or Jason Tatum would have been better suited for handling all that came with being the number one pick. Fultz had the same sketchy profile, maybe worse. The Washington Huskies were 2-16 in conference play, 9-22 overall. No, they did not make the tournament, any tournament. Again, I don't care how good you are if you're the leader of a 9-22 team, 2-16 in conference. There's no chance you're ready to handle the bright spotlight and enormous demands of being the number one pick. And when Markel's shot went sideways and he mentally lost it, again, Reflection of someone who's never had the scrutiny that comes with being a number one pick. DeAndre Ayton went number one in 2018. Not much needs to be said here because this was Luka Doncic's draft, and no one in their right mind takes anyone other than Luka Doncic number one. He'd been a team leader of men since he was 16. He had the game and IQ to lead and organize professional teams for years prior to entering the NBA. Phoenix went with size and local stardom since DeAndre Ayton is from the University of Arizona. Now, it hasn't blown up in their face only because Ayton has not been asked to lead. That was thrust on Devin Booker initially, who also had no experience and wasn't well equipped for the task, reflected in the team's repeated trips to the lottery until Chris Paul showed up. That brings us 2019 and the selection of Zion Williamson over John ja Morant. Everyone knew Zion was detached and aloof as a teammate as Duke, as I mentioned earlier, while everyone knew, everyone saw Ja lead the little old Murray State Racers to a 28-5 record in the second round of the NCAA tournament. They saw him on the podium. They saw him at the press conferences. They knew that he could lead. Finally, we have 2020 and 2021, Anthony Edwards and Cade Cunningham. 2020 was really about taking the guys not suited for it or avoiding not taking the guys not suited for it, which were James Wiseman and Patrick Williams. James Wiseman, having only played three games in college before 
bailing because he felt that he was unjustly punished uh, at Memphis. And Patrick Williams, who was a sixth man at Florida State, if I'm not mistaken. Minnesota wouldn't have gone wrong with Edwards or LaMelo Ball. LaMelo had been in the spotlight in a variety of ways for a couple years, even though he didn't play in college. He'd, he'd, he knew what it was like, thanks to his dad and thanks to Lonzo, to have a spotlight on him. Clearly capable of handling it. Now, first-year GM Troy Weaver clearly took leadership into account in taking Cade Cunningham over Jalen Green in 2021, and I would say that it has paid off. The difference in poise and floor, floor leadership between the two was evident from the first time they faced each other. So maybe, just maybe, GMs are starting to see what I see as well, that the number one pick requires far more than being the most talented player in a particular draft class. It requires being able to handle the expectation of being the most talented player in a particular draft class and the ability to deal with that expectation regardless of whether it's realized or not. That's what we see Zion going through right now. He's had his struggles because of injury, because of the team and its makeup and lack of communication, whatever it might be. And how well is he handling it? Not very well. Because uh, oftentimes it's not the number one pick's fault that he doesn't win Rookie of the Year. And it's not necessarily an indication that he wasn't worthy of being the number one pick. It's how he handles being the number one pick and not winning Rookie of the Year or other accolades that people expected him to win. That will say a lot about a number one pick's worthiness. Because that spotlight never dims. Almost any other pick, where they were taken, begins to take less and less meaning. Not a number one. That status is never diminished, and it's never lost, and a player never ceases trying to live up to it. All right, that does it for this episode of on the ball on the United Wecast Network. Please rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. The post-All-Star season will have begun by the time I record the next podcast. So we will take a look at that first series of games, who's coming out of the break with what, and there will be a subject that comes out of that somehow, some way, that bully base. Don't know exactly what it will be at this point, but it will be something. And it will be something good. I promise. In the meantime, as always, thanks for listening. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 